All right, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts in chapter 21. Acts 21. You know, I just realized I don't have the, uh, the thing to advance the slides. I am, oh, yes, I do. It's right here. You guys are awesome. You take care of me when I am forgetful sometimes. Um, uh, some of you may have heard the name Thomas Helwes. Um, it is not a current figure in church history. As a matter of fact, he lived in the 1500s, 1600s. And... Um, this man fled England uh, in the early 1600s with a guy by the name of John Smith, you may have heard of. And uh, he was a Baptist who was escaping persecution uh, by the state church in England and uh, during the uh, beginning of the English Reformation. And he escaped to the Netherlands in order to be able to freely worship the Lord according to his conscience in uh, a church that was established there. But over time, he began to get convicted for running from persecution. He said, if it's the truth, England needs it. And so he returned to England knowing full well that it would cost him a great deal. And there he started the first Baptist church in England. And he wrote uh, a treatise uh, to uh, King James uh, asking for religious liberty so that he might be able to worship uh, with his little congregation there in England. Uh, of course, King James took exception to his desire and imprisoned him in Newgate Prison, where eight, eight years later he died. I was impressed by this um, man from church history and that he was convinced that Standing for the truth was so important uh, that he was willing to pay a very high price for the spiritual and physical well-being of his church. Uh, he probably could have kept quiet under the radar and probably uh, not have suffered so much, but he said, no, it's important that this little church uh, be... Uh, not only spiritually healthy by teaching the truth, but it also be physically protected from the attacks of the state church. And so he uh, wrote a book to uh, King James and really to all who would listen, and it brought down the heavy hand of the state upon him. Um, I asked myself, why, why would he be so willing to, to risk everything for this little church? Why not just say, hey, the Netherlands are fine. I'm free to worship there. We'll just stay there. No, he cared about the spiritual and the physical well-being of the church. And I think we see that today in our passage in Acts chapter 21. Uh, we see Paul at great personal cost being courageously committed to the spiritual health and the unity of the local church. And uh, I think that's what we really, really learned today from this passage. The local church is worth my courageous, costly commitment to its spiritual health and unity. Let me show you how that's true. If you, uh, it is a lengthy passage. So I'll allow you to remain seated uh, this morning. But it's, 
Starting in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass that we had departed from them and set sail. And that's, of course, he was just talking to the Ephesian church leaders, the elders there in Miletus. And so he is uh, now passing on, moving toward Jerusalem. Okay? And that's going to be a key point in this passage that he was going to Jerusalem to meet with the Jerusalem church, the mother church, so to speak in order to then uh, prepare to go to Rome, which is next on his list of places to evangelize. Uh, and uh, he had wrote even in Romans 15, hey, I hope to come to you soon. Uh, he said, I want to impart unto you a spiritual gift and be encouraged by your faith, encouraging me and my faith, encouraging you. So he was pretty excited about future plans, but he was wrapping up his third missionary journey. And as he often did, he would go back for kind of uh, rest and refreshment and the church to give a report to the church. Um, this is something even Jesse and Alyssa Chapman are going to be doing for us, coming and reporting our missionary partners on what God is doing through their ministry. Uh, he did that after each missionary journey. He went back, gave report, got refreshed, um, and uh, encouraged, uh, gave the report, uh, often received more resources. Uh, and then he would go on to his next phase of ministry as the Holy Spirit uh, directed him. Now, in this case, it was something even deeper. Uh, he was actually had been collecting through the churches, the Gentile churches, an offering to help the church in Jerusalem because the church in Jerusalem was experiencing a terrible famine. Famine that's actually recorded in, in, in our human history books. Uh, it was so severe. And because they were suffering so deeply, he wanted to unify the church by saying, hey, you Gentile churches, you show how much you appreciate your Jewish brothers by collecting this money. Then I'm going to come, I'm going to receive it, and then we're going to take it to Jerusalem, and we're going to show the church how much Jews and Gentiles are unified in Jesus Christ. It was really an amazing thing. So it was to report, it was to get some resources, uh, give some resources, uh, and then to get ready for Rome. That was his next stage of ministry. Uh, that's what's going on here. So it says, they departed, set sail, running a straight course. We came from Kos, and following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And finding a ship, we sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailing to Syria, and landed at Tyre. So now he's now on the coast near Israel, okay? So he's going from kind of like what we'd say the middle uh, Mediterranean area, and he's... Uh, south of Turkey and moving all the way toward Israel. It says, and um, they landed at Tyre for there was a ship to unload her. Uh, there the ship was to unload the cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days and they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. So the Spirit reveals to the disciples there that you're going to suffer persecution. Don't go, Okay. When we had come to an end of those days, the seven days total there, we departed and went our, on our way, and they all accompanied us with their wives and children till we were out of the city. And then we knelt down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded another ship, and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus and greeted the brethren, stayed with them one day. And the next day, we who were with Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and that would have been Jerusalem. And he 
had come, when he came to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we had heard these things, both we and those from that place, Caesarea, pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceasing the will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we packed and went to up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us. And we brought with them a certain name, Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the disciples, excuse me, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went with us to James and all the elders were present. And when we had greeted them, he told in detail the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. That's the report, okay? And when they had heard it, they glorified the Lord, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow, and this would have been a Nazarite vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that the things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from the things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality, which is exactly what the church had decided back in Acts 15. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us an understanding of Paul's heart in this passage and see how really it's the heart of every Christian. It should be the heart of every Christian. That, Lord, we are concerned for the health and unity of the local church. God, that we open our hearts, our hands, uh, and our homes in hospitality. And, Lord, that we Uh, Lord, do all these things that you have commanded us to do, that we do so with genuine humility, as we see in the life of Paul here. God, please help us to do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've already talked about how Paul was headed to Jerusalem for three reasons, okay? Uh, Resources, a report, and for Rome. And all these were really important uh, because there were hurting believers there at Jerusalem. And, of course, Paul loved God's people. And the fact is, is it was a perfect opportunity for the Jerusalem, or excuse me, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers to be deeper, more deeply forged with unity, to, to strengthen the bond of the church. There was constant assaults. As a matter of fact, we see one of the assaults when they said some false teachers had said, hey, he tells them to ignore the... Um, the law and doesn't care about Moses, tells them not to circumcise their kids. And, and you know, he's just against us as Jews. Uh, Satan is always sowing the seeds of disunity in the church. And so God had given them an amazing opportunity to show love by giving this offering. And then, of course, he had to give a report about what God was doing. He did it every time he returned from a missionary journey. He gave a report. And uh, he showed himself accountable to the church in Jerusalem who was the sending church for him. Uh, we know he also went back to the church at Antioch at times. But we see Paul putting himself under the authority of these leaders, of these apostles, in 
Jerusalem, which is interesting because Paul says, I'm an apostle too. I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. He had seen Christ. He had been called by Christ to this apostleship. And so when he came to the church, so one might think, well, Paul could have said, hey, you ain't telling me anything to do. I'm an apostle too. I have God's word. You know, I, I actually wrote more of the New Testament than you guys did. James, one book. I wrote a bunch of them. <laughs> but he wasn't like that at all. He said, hey, listen, they said, listen, uh, in order to, to stop this disunity, from this rift from continuing to tear open, let's do this. There were men taking a Nazarite vow. You show, which by the way was commanded in the law or was given in the law of Moses. He goes, you show your support for the law by saying, hey, I'll pay their expenses. I'll pay the offering. I'll go with them and we'll all do it. And that way you'll show the Jewish brethren that you care about them and that you're not trying to undo the law of Moses. You're trying to put it in context of the gospel, okay, to put it in its proper place. And so this was a really amazing opportunity that God had given them, and Paul was determined to go. So what do you do with those guys that are telling them, don't go? Now, I've read where people are like, you know, Paul was just stubborn. Paul was sinning here because the Spirit revealed to them that he shouldn't go, and he went anyway. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think the Holy Spirit ever uh, says something different than what he says earlier? Do you think the Holy Spirit changes his mind like that? And yes, no, yes, no, no. Uh, he said very clearly in other passages, Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 19, he says the Spirit had already revealed to him that he was to go up to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, you go all the way back to Acts chapter 9, and he says that God had revealed to me that I would stand before kings and declare the gospel. He's like, hey, this is all part of God's, uh, of God's unfolding plan. He's told me what was supposed to take place not only originally in his commissioning, his calling to the gospel, he says, God told me this was going to happen. Then he says, Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he said, I know what awaits me. The Holy Spirit has already told me that I have persecution in my future. But he says, I go bound in the Spirit, compelled by the Holy Spirit to do these things. So he's like, then why in the world would the Spirit of God tell Agabus and these other disciples, don't go? I think what you have to do is divide two things out. Number one, the Holy Spirit did reveal some information to them just as he did to Paul. He told them, when you go to Jerusalem, it's not going to go well for you. But the fact that they say don't go to Jerusalem, that was their advice based on the revelation through prophecy. You see, we have to divide those out. And Agabus came up, he didn't say anything about not going. He just says, when you go, he took the belt off of Paul, he wraps it around his hands and says, you know what, uh, that, like, it, I, that is being bound, this belt, whoever owns this belt is also going to be bound in a similar way. He's telling them, you're going to be arrested and imprisoned when you get there. But Agabus did not say don't go. It was everyone else then who said, don't go. He says, all the people with this, it says that they pled with him not to go. The idea, it's in the imperfect tense in the Greek, it means this. They pled with them over and over and over. Paul, please don't go. Please don't go. Paul, it's not going to end well. Please, please, Paul, listen to us. Don't go. And he's like, why are you breaking my heart? He's like, I love you. I, I don't, I don't want to be separated from you. I'm not looking forward to imprisonment, but this is the calling that God has given me. And this is what I must do. I am compelled by the Holy Spirit. I can't do anything else. I have to go. This is what God's called me to do. By the way, the Bible says that God, God's called every Christian who would live godly in Christ Jesus to suffer persecution. 
to be ready to do that. We're really good at trying to avoid it. Now, I'm not saying Paul didn't avoid danger. Remember that time when he escaped down the city wall in a basket? He wasn't, it wasn't like he, was, he had a death wish. But he also was dedicated to his calling. And he says, listen, the church at Jerusalem needs me. God has called me there, and I'm going. And so finally they just gave up and says, well, the Lord's will be done. That's where they should have started, by the way. <laughs> just the Lord's will be done. And so this is kind of the situation we find. So he gets in this little ship that kind of hugs the coastline. As you read these, these little towns like Kaws and stuff like that, they're right on southern Turkey's border. And they're just kind of coming around, hugging the coast. So it was probably a little ship that wasn't made for the open ocean. So finally they land, spend seven days there. They get on a different ship. Now this is a big ship because this is going to cross right through the middle of the Mediterranean, just south of the city of the island of Cyprus. And so you need a big ship. And so it took them some time to unload and all these things. And so the whole point that is, is uh, or excuse me, uh, they unloaded they, loaded, they had this ship. It went to Ptolemus uh, on the coast there, uh, Tyre. Uh, actually, I think I'm getting them in misordered. But basically what happened is they landed. They hopped down south, just about 25 miles, hopped down south again to another port. And then from there, they made their way up to the Jerusalem church. So they kind of uh, crossed in the open ocean, the Mediterranean Sea. They hit the coast, and then they kind of hopped down a few ports, and then they finally made their way up to the Jerusalem church. So that's where we find ourselves. And so I just want to bring out a couple things that we see here, uh, where we see Paul was committed, and he was courageously committed to the spiritual health and the unity of the church. I think the first thing we see is his commitment to their spiritual health, and not just spiritual, by the way, physical health as well. Uh, and we're called to dedicate ourselves to that same spiritual and physical health of our church family at great personal cost. They try to tell him, Paul, you understand going to the Jerusalem church is going to cost you imprisonment. It's not going to go. Matter of fact, Paul said himself, what great things I must suffer for his namesake. He knows what this means. So it, it doesn't make sense, humanly speaking, why Paul would insist on going to Jerusalem when he knew what awaited him there. Unless you understood Paul's heart concerning the church. He was saying this, it's worth it. Really, wasn't that what Thomas Hellas was saying? This church, this little church in England is worth it. Eight years in prison and then finally you die at Newgate Prison? Yeah, it's worth that. It's worth that level of sacrifice. Now, I think it's important here that God makes it so plain, not only to Paul, but to everyone else around Paul, what, was, what Paul was really risking what his sacrifice really was in this case. Now, this is, this is really convicting to me. Because as a Christian, I think, what is my level of commitment to my local church? I mean, think of it. There's Christians who won't get, come to the gathering on Sunday because it's inconvenient. Paul was willing to go. It was going to cost him imprisonment. He was willing to, to go because to him, the physical well-being of the church, remember, they were suffering famine, right? Which means we, they had starving believers. There wasn't enough food. And so they needed the money in order to help provide for the needs of this Jerusalem church. There was a physical element to this. They were suffering physically, and Paul says, I need to take this to them so that I can alleviate them, their suffering because he loves them. 
as Christians, there should be a natural draw. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, your heart begins to feel about the church the way Christ felt about his church. And what did he do for his church? He gave himself for it. This was natural to Paul. He's like, why, why are you trying to, why are you breaking my heart by telling me not to go? This is the heart we all should have. But the cost is so high. Yes, the cost was high for the Savior. It cost him his life. How should I not also be willing to give my discomfort and perhaps even my life in service for the church? The church needs this. And nothing will keep me from getting it to them. I love that. You know what? What we ought to say is this. Hey, when it comes to serving my local church, loving the folks in the church, I want nothing to stop me, nothing to deter me from showing the kind of love the church deserves, the kind of love Jesus showed when he gave his life for the church. We are all called. You say, well, Paul was called to this. Yeah, Paul, Paul you had a calling to go and do this. Acts 9, right? Do we not have a calling? Has God not called every believer to love and serve the church in this way? I submit to you, look at Ephesians 4. He says he gave some apostles, prophets, uh, pastor, teachers, evangelists for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And listen to this, edifying the body till we all come to the unity of the faith. Now listen, it's edifying the body, building it up, strengthening it, giving it spiritual health. God gave Leaders to train people so the people will serve. And as the people serve, the church experiences spiritual health. And so we all come to the unity of the faith and the maturity of the Son of God. Or the, the, it says to grow up into Christ Jesus. He says for the maturity, for the unity, do we all come to the unity of the faith. And for the edifying, the spiritual health of the church. He says God gave every single Christian an ability by the Holy Spirit, to serve the local church in love, to help all of us grow up and become more mature in Jesus Christ so that we can be healthy and unified. So what I'm saying is this. Every one of us have the same call to the spiritual health and unity of the local church. Every single one of us. Now we start to see, hey, this wasn't just for Paul. Paul wasn't an unusual person. Yes, he was an apostle. He had a unique gifting. He had a unique calling as an apostle, but he was not a unique Christian. He was the kind of Christian every single one of us should be. He had the heart of Christ, and that's how all of us should see it. And we all should have the conviction that the local church is, in fact, God's plan for this age. Uh, it wasn't as though God says, you know, that whole Israel thing didn't work out for me, so I'm going to try something a little new. Let, let, let's change it up just a little bit. Let's try this thing called the church. Let's see how that goes for a while. No, this was in the heart of God. He called Israel. He gave them a covenant. And now he establishes this new covenant with not only Israel, but with Gentiles and says, I'm going to start a brand new thing. It's no longer Jew, Gentile. It is Jew and Gentile in one called the church. This was always God's plan. And see, Paul was so convinced of this. They're like, Paul, why would you risk your life for it? He says, because this is what Christ established before he left. I will build my church. This gathering of Jew and Gentile in the name of Jesus under the new covenant. That's why I came. To shed the blood of the new covenant. 
And so this is not unusual. He, was, he had this conviction that the, that the local church was of such great value, such great importance in the heart of God that Jesus came for it, that he committed himself courageously to do this. He knew it was coming. Romans 15, he says, I beg you through the, Holy, uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together in prayers for me, to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints and that I will be able to come to you with joy if it's the will of God. <laughs> He's like this. Hey, listen, I want to come to you soon, but I need you to do something. You better pray because I know what's coming. Pray that the Jerusalem church will accept the love of the Gentiles, and it will draw us closer together. But pray that all those people who are seeking my life in Jerusalem, that God might snatch me out of the jaws of the lions. He said, pray for me. You say, well, if, here's a better idea. Instead of us praying, why don't you change your plans? <laughs> don't go. And he's like, you understand, I am going because I'm called to go. The church needs me to go. God commanded me to go. And now you need to pray because I am going. <laughs> and if it's God's will, I'm going to try to come to Rome after that. Paul wasn't ignoring these prophecies. He was saying, I know, guys, this might be new news to you, but it isn't new to me. <laughs> He told me from the very beginning this is how it was going to be for me. And he's told me specifically that there are sufferings that await for me in Jerusalem. But I want you to know something. It's always worth it. It's always worth it. See, that's the kind of heart we need as Christians. Saying, oh man, sometimes it's, it's hard when I have to really study to teach a class at church, to, to teach a Sunday school class. It's worth it. I have to give some things up because it takes time. It's worth it. It takes time to come and serve and, 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 and to do the cleaning. It takes time to come and serve and, and to, sh um, to serve other people for their spiritual growth. It takes time. You know, all my friends, they got campers and they go away every weekend. I could be doing that. I could be going and enjoying the lake. I say this in all honesty. Just ask yourself, when I stand before Christ and say, I spent every weekend at the lake during the, the summer, um, I spent every weekend there because it was really important to me. I want you to think about how that's going to sound as you tell that to Jesus Christ. I'm not kidding you. What, what will you say to him says, yeah, the lake was super important. I'm not saying you shouldn't take vacation. You should. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to the lake. I go to the lake sometimes. Vacations, there's nothing wrong with that. We all need refreshment. We all need that. But the question is, is that at the end of your days, when you look back, will you wish you had done more for Jesus or you spent another weekend at the lake? I'm being all honest here. Not just that. There's all kinds of things that people will, I'm not just picking on people and say, oh, great. Pick on the people who like to go to the lake. No, not at all. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't miss a church service to go see a Chiefs game. I wouldn't. It just doesn't matter. You say, I thought you liked the Chiefs. I do. I'll watch them after. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. But listen, there are some things that are just of greater importance and I just, I look at Paul's life and I say, Paul, they begged you not to go. And you're like, I'm going because it's that important. I want to have that kind of love for the local church to say it's just that important. C.T. Studd, who was a missionary, said this. 
Some want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. He's like, that's, that's what's really at stake. Is, the, is, is souls in the kingdom and healthy spiritual Christians in a local church. That's what he saw as being of high value. So he was glad, glad to do it. But then we also see hospitality. We also see hospitality. Uh, before I get there, let me just say a few things. You know, there's always going to be people who forsake the church like Demas because they love this present world more. There's always going to be people like John Mark who forsake the church when it gets hard. Here's the thing is, is sometimes uh, you've heard of uh, fair weather fans, you know, people who are like, hey, I'm all for the Royals when they're winning, <laughs> the Chiefs when they're winning. Uh, but the fact is there should be no fair weather Christians. Oh, things are getting difficult at the church. I think I'll find another one. It's a lot easier. I don't need your problems. I got enough of my own. You see, the heart of Christ is to take on the burdens of us. That's what families do, right? We take on the burden of us. We, we, we accept that in any family, there's going to be moments that are really hard, moments of confrontation, moments of conflict, uh, moments of just, it's just really, really hard. And our church, like every church, has had our share of them. But Paul didn't say, you know what, that Jerusalem church, man, they're having like famine, and there's a bunch of people who are talking bad about me over there saying, oh, I don't care about the law of Moses. You know what? I think I'm just going to stay over here at the Antioch church. I think I'm just going to stay over here. The people back over here, they love me. But he's like, no, the people over there need me. Man, we're, we're that every single person that comes into church looking for a church and says, listen, I'm just looking to fill a need. I'm just looking to serve and to help other people. I just get a little disheartened when I hear people saying, well, I'm just looking at what you're going to do for me. You see, I want other people to run children's ministry. I don't want to have to do it. So I'm looking for a church that already does it so I don't have to do it. You know what the church needs is people that says, hey, what kind of ministries do we need? Hey, listen, uh, I would like to help fill that need. I would like to help serve and, and make that happen. Instead, you know, you, you, you read about churches as saying, yeah, everyone who is serving is overworked. People are dropping out because they're just so exhausted all the time because the people who care really give it all and the people who don't are just happy to take from those who will give. Instead, we need people like Paul that says, listen, they have a need. I want to go meet that need. I want to serve them. Paul said he was willing to suffer and die for his own countrymen. He said, if it were possible, I would become accursed if it meant that Israel would come to Jesus Christ. I'll be honest, I would never do that. <laughs> I love people, but I don't think I could bring myself to say, Lord, I would be willing to suffer eternal judgment so other people would be able to go to heaven. But you know what I think all of us should be able to say is I'm willing to sacrifice some inconvenience, some hardships, some resources. I'm willing to give of myself so that other people can, in fact, know the good news of Jesus Christ. I may not understand Paul's heart. I'm not even sure if I understand John Knox's heart. John Knox said this, give me Scotland or I die. 
Give me Scotland or I die. That's the kind of hearts we need to say. Uh, Give us Higginsville. Give us souls for the kingdom. God, we care about the community that you've placed us in. And there's no sacrifice that's too great. So the question is, is what kind of sacrifices are we willing to make to our schedule, our finances, our heart? Let me tell you this. You serve people, you'll get your heart broken. That's part of it. You know, people like generalities because they're vague. (laughs) But the question is, is, is Paul has some specifics in mind. They have a distinct need. They're hurting. I'm going to bring them an offering. People are like, oh, we just love to serve people. How? Man, we ought to be willing to give ourselves to help people. Where? When? How? What are you doing? That's the question. We like to talk in generalities because then we can kind of look around and say, yeah, guys, yeah. Specifics say this. What about me? What am I doing? Listen, we can't be content to just let needs go unmet because it's really hard. Paul made no excuses. And if anyone had an excuse not to go, he had an excuse. He had multiple ones. You heard Agabus. Sorry, guys. Peace out. <laughs> and you heard those guys. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Go to one place. Don't go. I'm going. Go to the next place. Don't go. Pleading with you. Please don't go. I'm going. If anyone had a chance to bow out, it was him. And he just kept on pressing and pressing and pressing. You get past verse 26 and you'll see what happens. Now we begin this long line of Paul just suffering imprisonment. Moving from one place to the next. Imprisoned, difficult, hardship. It just gets really, really dark after this. And here's the crazy thing is Paul knew it all along. You know, I'm not going to continue. I'm not going to talk about the hospitality. I think I'm going to end right here. And... um, Hopefully, the word of God has said enough to you this morning that the Holy Spirit is speaking and saying, hey, this is how you can show that kind of love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are very grateful for this passage. And God, all of us stand here this morning just saying, God, I want to be more like that, but, but God, I just don't. My heart's not like that. I couldn't be a Thomas Helvis. I, I, I couldn't be a John Knox. I, I, I certainly can't be a Paul and have that kind of heart. And yet you've called us to this, this higher, more precious, more, more important thing, your people. And God, in our hearts, we, we feel the spirit of God drawing us. We feel the pull on our hearts saying, this is, man, this is how it ought to be. And yet we find ourselves resisting. God, my heart's cry is that this morning we would stop pulling back. We would let go of the reins, let the Holy Spirit have complete control, and we would start developing the kind of heart that we see here. One that is committed courageously at any cost to the physical and spiritual well-being of your people to see it unified because that's why Christ came, suffered, died, and rose again.
Help us to see it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to honor our graduates this morning. So I'm going to have our graduates come. They're going to sit right here. And uh, so come on up. Don't be shy. We'll have you sit right here on the front row.